Chapter 12 A Petition Then we are to lose Madame la Comtesse, but I hope only for a few hours, I said, with a low bow. It may be that only, or it may be a few weeks. It was very unlucky, his speaking to me just now as he did. Do you now know me? I assured her I did not. You shall know me, she said, but not at present. We are older and better friends than perhaps you suspect. I cannot yet declare myself. I shall in three weeks pass your beautiful schloss, about which I have been making enquiries. I shall then look in upon you for an hour or two, and renew a friendship which I never think of without a thousand pleasant recollections. This moment, a piece of news has reached me like a thunderbolt. I must set out now and travel by a devious route, nearly a hundred miles, with all the dispatch I can possibly make. My perplexities multiply. I am only deterred by the compulsory reserve I practice as to my name from making a very singular request of you. My poor child has not quite recovered her strength. Her horse fell with her, at a hunt which she had ridden out to witness. Her nerves have not yet recovered the shock, and our physician says that she must on no account exert herself for some time to come. We came here, in consequence, by very easy stages, hardly six leagues a day. I must now travel day and night on a mission of life and death, a mission the critical and momentous nature of which I shall be able to explain to you when we meet, as I hope we shall, in a few weeks, without the necessity of any concealment. She went on to make her petition, and it was in the tone of a person from whom such a request amounted to conferring rather than seeking a favor. This was only in manner, and as it seemed quite unconsciously. Then the terms in which it was expressed, nothing could be more deprecatory. It was simply that I would consent to take charge of her daughter during her absence. This was, all things considered, a strange, not to say an audacious request. She in some sort disarmed me by stating and admitting everything that could be urged against it and throwing herself entirely upon my chivalry. At the same moment, by a fatality that seems to have predetermined all that happened, my poor child came to my side and in an undertone besought me to invite her new friend, Malarka, to pay us a visit. She had just been sounding her, and thought, if her mamma would allow her, she would like it extremely. At another time, I should have told her to wait a little, until, at least, we knew who they were. But I had not a moment to think in. The two ladies assailed me together, and I must confess, the refined and beautiful face of the young lady, about which there was something extremely engaging, as well as the elegance and fire of high birth, determined me, and quite overpowered, I submitted and undertook too easily the care of the young lady, whom her mother called Milarka. The countess beckoned to her daughter, who listened with grave attention while she told her, in general terms, how suddenly and peremptorily she had been summoned, and also of the arrangement she had made for her under my care, adding that I was one of her earliest and most valued friends. 
I made, of course, such speeches as the case seemed to call for, and found myself, on reflection, in a position which I did not half like. The gentleman in black returned, and very ceremoniously conducted the lady from the room. The demeanor of this gentleman was such as to impress me with the conviction that the countess was a lady of very much more importance than her modest title alone might have led me to assume. Her last charge to me was that no attempt was to be made to learn more about her than I might have already guessed until her return. Our distinguished host, whose guest she was, knew her reasons. But here, she said, neither I nor my daughter could safely remain for more than a day. I removed my mask imprudently for a moment, about an hour ago, and too late, I fancied you saw me. So I resolved to seek an opportunity of talking a little to you. Had I found that you had seen me, I would have thrown myself on your high sense of honor to keep my secret some weeks. As it is, I am satisfied that you did not see me. But if you now suspect, or on reflection, should suspect who I am, I commit myself, in like manner, entirely to your honor. My daughter will observe the same secrecy, and I well know that you will, from time to time, remind her, lest she should thoughtlessly disclose it. She whispered a few words to her daughter, kissed her hurriedly twice, and went away, accompanied by the pale gentleman in black, and disappeared in the crowd. In the next room, said Malarka, there is a window that looks upon the hall door. I should like to see the last of Mamma, and to kiss my hand to her. We assented, of course, and accompanied her to the window. We looked out and saw a handsome old-fashioned carriage with a troop of couriers and footmen. We saw the slim figure of the pale gentleman in black as he held a thick velvet cloak and placed it about her shoulders and threw the hood over her head. She nodded to him and just touched his hand with hers. He bowed low repeatedly as the door closed and the carriage began to move. She is gone, said Malarka with a sigh. She is gone, I repeated to myself, for the first time in the hurried moments that had elapsed since my consent, reflecting upon the folly of my act. She did not look up, said the young lady, plaintively. The countess had taken off her mask, perhaps, and did not care to show her face, I said, and she could not know that you were in the window. She sighed and looked in my face. She was so beautiful that I relented. I was sorry I had for a moment repented of my hospitality, and I determined to make her amends for the unavowed churlishness of my reception. The young lady, replacing her mask, joined my ward in persuading me to return to the grounds, where the concert was soon to be renewed. We did so, and walked up and down the terrace that lies under the castle windows. Malarka became very intimate with us, and amused us with lively descriptions and stories of most of the great people whom we saw upon the terrace. I liked her more and more every minute. Her gossip, without being ill-natured, was extremely diverting to me, who had been so long out of the great world. I thought what life she would give to our sometimes lonely evenings at home. 
This ball was not over until the morning sun had almost reached the horizon. It pleased the Grand Duke to dance till then, so loyal people could not go away, or think of bed. We had just got through a crowded saloon when my ward asked me what had become of Malarka. I thought she had been by her side, and she fancied she was by mine. The fact was, we had lost her. All my efforts to find her were vain. I feared that she had mistaken, in the confusion of a momentary separation from us, other people for her new friends, and had possibly pursued and lost them in the extensive grounds which were thrown open to us. Now, in its full force, I recognized a new folly in having undertaken the charge of a young lady without so much as knowing her name, and fettered as I was by promises of the reasons for imposing which I knew nothing, I could not even point my inquiries by saying that the missing young lady was the daughter of the Countess, who had taken her departure a few hours before. Morning broke. It was clear daylight before I gave up my search. It was not till near two o'clock next day that we heard anything of my missing charge. At about that time, a servant knocked at my niece's door to say that he had been earnestly requested by a young lady, who appeared to be in great distress, to make out where she could find the General Baron Spielsdorf and the young lady, his daughter, in whose charge she had been left by her mother. There could be no doubt, notwithstanding the slight inaccuracy, that our young friend had turned up. And so she had. Would to heaven we had lost her. She told my poor child a story to account for her having failed to recover us for so long. Very late, she said, she had got to the housekeeper's bedroom in despair of finding us, and had then fallen into a deep sleep, which, long as it was, had hardly sufficed to recruit her strength after the fatigues of the ball. That day, Malarka came home with us. I was only too happy after all to have secured so charming a companion for my dear girl. Chapter 13 The Woodman There soon, however, appeared some drawbacks. In the first place, Malarga complained of extreme languor, the weakness that remained after her late illness, and she never emerged from her room till the afternoon. In the next place, it was accidentally discovered although she always locked her door on the inside and never disturbed the key from its place till she admitted the maid to assist at her toilet, that she was undoubtedly sometimes absent from her room in the very early morning and at various times later in the day, before she wished it to be understood that she was stirring. She was repeatedly seen from the windows of the Schloss in the first faint gray of the morning, walking through the trees, in an easterly direction, and looking like a person in a trance. This convinced me that she walked in her sleep. But this hypothesis did not solve the puzzle. How did she pass out from her room, leaving the door locked on the inside? How did she escape from the house without unbarring door or window? In the midst of my perplexities, an anxiety of a far more urgent kind presented itself. My dear child began to lose her looks and health, and that in a manner so mysterious, and even horrible, that I became thoroughly frightened. 
she was at first visited by appalling dreams. Then, as she fancied, by a specter, sometimes resembling Malarca, sometimes in the shape of a beast, indistinctly seen, walking round the foot of her bed from side to side. Lastly came sensations. One, not unpleasant, but very peculiar, she said, resembled the flow of an icy stream against her breast. At a later time, she felt something like a pair of large needles pierce her, a little below the throat, with a very sharp pain. A few nights after, followed a gradual and convulsive sense of strangulation, then came unconsciousness. I could hear distinctly every word the kind old general was saying, because by this time we were driving upon the short grass that spreads on either side of the road as you approach the roofless village, which had not shown the smoke of a chimney for more than half a century. You may guess how strangely I felt as I heard my own symptoms so exactly described and those which had been experienced by the poor girl who, but for the catastrophe which followed, would have been at that moment a visitor at my father's chateau. You may suppose also how I felt as I heard him detail habits and mysterious peculiarities, which were, in fact, those of our beautiful guest, Carmilla. A vista opened in the forest. We were on a sudden under the chimneys and gables of the ruined village, and the towers and battlements of the dismantled castle, round which gigantic trees are grouped, overhung us from a slight eminence. In a frightened dream, I got down from the carriage, and in silence, for we had each abundant matter for thinking, we soon mounted the ascent and were among the spacious chambers, winding stairs, and dark corridors of the castle. And this was once the palatial residence of the Karnsteins, said the old general at length, as from a great window he looked out across the village and saw the wide, undulating expanse of forest. It was a bad family, and here its blood-stained annals were written, he continued. It is hard that they should, after death, continue to plague the human race with their atrocious lusts. That is the chapel of the Karnsteins down there. He pointed down to the gray walls of the Gothic building, partly visible through the foliage, a little way down the steep. And I hear the axe of a woodman, he added, busy among the trees that surround it. He, possibly, may give us the information of which I am in search, and point out the grave of Mercala, Countess of Karnstein. These rustics preserve the local traditions of great families, whose stories die out among the rich and titled so soon as the families themselves become extinct. We have a portrait at home of Mercala, the Countess Karnstein. Should you like to see it? asked my father. Time enough, dear friend, replied the general. I believe that I have seen the original, and one motive which has led me to you earlier than I at first intended was to explore the chapel which we are now approaching. What? See the Countess Mercala, exclaimed my father. Why, she has been dead more than a century. Not so dead as you fancy, I am told, answered the general. I confess, general, you puzzle me utterly replied my father, looking at him, I fancied, for a moment, 
with the return of the suspicion I detected before. But although there was anger and detestation, at times, in the old general's manner, there was nothing flighty. There remains to me, he said, as we passed under the heavy arch of the Gothic church, for its dimensions would have justified its being so styled, but one object which can interest me during the few years that remain to me on earth, and that is to wreak on her the vengeance which, I thank God, may still be accomplished by a mortal arm. What vengeance can you mean? asked my father, in increasing amazement. I mean to decapitate the monster, he answered, with a fierce flush and a stamp that echoed mournfully through the hollow ruin and his clenched hand was at the same moment raised as if it grasped the handle of an axe, while he shook it ferociously in the air. What? exclaimed my father, more than ever bewildered. To strike her head off. Cut her head off? Aye, with a hatchet, with a spade, or with anything that can cleave through her murderous throat. You shall hear, he answered, trembling with rage, and hurrying forward, he said, That beam will answer for a seat. Your dear child is fatigued. Let her be seated, and I will, in a few sentences, close my dreadful story. The squared block of wood, which lay on the grass-grown pavement of the chapel, formed a bench on which I was very glad to seat myself. And in the meantime, the general called to the woodman, who had been removing some boughs, which leaned upon the old walls and axe in hand, the hardy old fellow stood before us. He could not tell us anything of these monuments, but there was an old man, he said, a ranger of this forest, at present sojourning in the house of the priest, about two miles away, who could point out every monument of the old Karnstein family, and for a trifle he undertook to bring him back with him, if we would lend him one of our horses, in little more than half an hour, "'Have you been long employed about this forest?' asked my father of the old man. "'I have been a woodman here,' he answered in his patois. "'Under the forester, all my days. "'So has my father before me, and so on, "'as many generations as I can count up. "'I could show you the very house in the village here "'in which my ancestors lived.' "'How came the village to be deserted?' asked the general. "'It was troubled by revenants, sir.' Several were tracked to their graves, there detected by the usual tests, and extinguished in the usual way, by decapitation, by the stake, and by burning, but not until many of the villagers were killed. But after all these proceedings, according to law, he continued, so many graves opened, and so many vampires deprived of their horrible animation, the village was not relieved. But a Moravian nobleman, who happened to be traveling this way, heard how matters were, and being skilled, as many people are in his country, in such affairs, he offered to deliver the village from its tormentor. He did so thus. There being a bright moon that night, he ascended, shortly after sunset, the towers of the chapel here, from whence he could distinctly see the churchyard beneath him. You can see it from that window. From this point, he watched until he saw the vampire come out of his grave and place near it the linen clothes in which he had been folded, 
and then glide away towards the village to plague its inhabitants. The stranger, having seen all this, came down from the steeple, took the linen wrappings of the vampire, and carried them up to the top of the tower, which he again mounted. When the vampire returned from his prowling and missed his clothes, he cried furiously to the Moravian, whom he saw at the summit of the tower, and who in reply beckoned him to ascend and take them. Whereupon the vampire, accepting his invitation, began to climb the steeple. And so soon as he had reached the battlements, the Moravian, with a stroke of his sword, clove his skull in twain, hurling him down to the churchyard whither, descending by the winding stairs, the stranger followed and cut his head off, and next day delivered it and the body to the villagers, who duly impaled and burnt them. This Moravian nobleman had authority from the then head of the family to remove the tomb of Markala, Countess Karnstein, which he did effectually, so that in a little while its site was quite forgotten. Can you point out where it stood? asked the general eagerly. The forester shook his head and smiled. Not a soul living could tell you that now, he said. Besides, they say her body was removed, but no one is sure of that either. Having thus spoken, as time pressed, he dropped his axe and departed, leaving us to hear the remainder of the general's strange story. <laughs>